0: Uh, Good morning to you. We have to get started. Uh, My name is uh, Michael Ticharewa. Uh, For those who don't know me, and I am the chairperson of the Banking Committee. I'm going to be chairing this session, so I'm looking forward to your participation. Uh, Just um, a point to note, uh, we are encouraging you to download the the, app, the convention app, uh, because it's very useful. So please, if you get a chance, just download that. So thank you, um, we're going to move to our next presentation. Um, our next presentation is um, from Kuzai Chigiji. Uh, Kuzai works for West Bank, right? Yes, works for West Bank, and she's going to talk to us about asset finance, the actuarial imperative. And without any further talk, I invite Kuzai. Thank you. Thank
1: you, So we had an indication earlier that about half of you work within a banking environment and the other half of you do not work in a banking environment. For those of you who do not, okay, for those of you who do work in a banking environment, how many of you do not work in a credit or regulatory role? So, I guess very few, okay, so to give you context, so West Bank Group is the largest asset finance bank in the country and probably on the continent, and i 'm the head of research and analytics there within our digital r and d team, so definitely not a credit or regulatory role, so something a bit out of the out of the box so today. There we go, all right, thank you. So today, first I'm gonna talk to you about what asset finance banking is and sort of where West Bank fits within our economy and within the banking space. Then I'm gonna briefly deviate and talk to you about sort of what my journey has been entering a very novel space, a space where there aren't a lot of actuaries that specialize in that area. When I arrived at West Bank, I was the only actuarial student and currently I'm the only qualified actuary within the bank, so definitely new terrain and not a lot of hand-holding. And then we're gonna take it back and I'm gonna talk to you about some of the, I guess, more interesting day-to-day things that we're doing, things that are outside of the box and give you a flavor of what it's like to apply your actuarial skills outside of the typical areas that we're used to dealing with okay so firstly asset finance banking is really about bridging the gap between the asset and the funds that are required for the asset in the context of uh, of the motor vehicle industry, which is the largest uh, area that we work within, we finance even our dealers. So when a new car is released by Jaguar, for example, for it to arrive in South Africa, for it to get on the dealer floor, there is obviously a flow of money, there is flow of cash. And you usually find the original equipment manufacturers do not like taking the risk of just sending, let's say, a few thousand of their latest models into the country. So we deal between the original equipment manufacturer and the dealers. So we provide the funding for them to be able to have the cars on the floor. And then once the car arrives here, the dealers obviously also need to keep their operations running. So we're talking about the dealer floor, the dealers themselves, the Is on the floor. We provide funding for them to keep their businesses operational and to keep stock. And then there are people like you and I in the room who want to buy the cars and might not have a million rand lying around to buy whatever it is we want. We also provide finance to you. So really, if I think about it, if you consider how big the motor vehicle industry is and how it contributes to the economy, we play right across the whole food chain, right from the guys who develop the cars and who've got the engineers who make the cars to bring it into the country, to putting it in your hands, to keeping it on the roads. Um, so we're, we, we consider ourselves quite an integral part of the motor vehicle industry in the country, making sure that everyone we keep, well, stays in business. So now West Bank. A lot of people think West Bank is a part of FMB. As much as we love our sister company, we're actually a separate company in and of ourselves. And then within West Bank Group, there are several companies. There's West Bank Motor Division, where I uh, am mainly focused. And then there's also the Corporate Division. And then we've got our Rest of Africa operations, and we're expanding quite uh, rapidly, right, throughout the continent. And a lot of that is mainly with governments and with large commercial providers. Then we've got a direct access business, which is unsecured lending. It's mainly personal loans. And we own most of that business. And then we've got Motor Nova, That's our UK business where we, well, it's, I guess, the UK equivalent of our South African motor division. And we've got Moto Vantage, which is our newly created insurance company. So really not just providing asset finance for you and I on the floor, but really operating and also the unsecured lending space, also in insurance, and expanding to really make sure that we make it easier for original equipment manufacturers to enter the continent and do business in Africa by helping them manage their risk and their liquidity. So the West Bank business, okay. Firstly, it, it's, six, it's 46% of the market share in the country. Our main competitors being Absa Nedbank and Standard Bank, and we've got a few other small players such as BMW and Mercedes. Our business is mainly founded on our partnerships. We've also got innovation, and we love our people. But really, partnerships are what has differentiated West Bank. There are a few large players in the industry. Some from the insurance and healthcare side who've tried to dislodge us in the past. But it's a very te- What's the word? Uh, tight community. we essentially have relationships with all the original, with all the large original equipment manufacturers, so we are very closely intertwined with even the guys from Toyota, right from their head offices, the guys from VW and Audi. They do not enter the country without first speaking to us. We are also very closely linked with all of the dealerships in the country. You essentially cannot do business in the motor vehicle space without having good relationships with all of the dealers, unless you're operating purely in the new car space. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we really operate across the whole food chain, and that also includes the service providers. So, the likes of Track and the likes of Cars.Cosa, Auto Autotrade, all of them have been partners and friends of West Bank throughout our journey. So, you'll probably notice that when you go and get finance for a car, it's usually just VW, Audi, or you just see Kia, or you just see Ford. In most cases, West Bank is underlying that deal. We provide the backing for that deal. We've often gone with the white label approach, which is likely to change in the future so we get more visibility and play more in the actual asset space as well. But a good equivalent is if you buy any computer, any laptop, usually there's an Intel device inside, whether you know it or you don't. And we like to think of ourselves as the Intel of the car manufacturing and finance industry. But let me deviate for a while and I'll just talk to you a bit about what my journey has been in going from healthcare care to banking, to asset finance banking. So, like I said, when I arrived at West Bank, I was the only person outside of the credit team with a quantitative background. I heard that there was an actuary somewhere, and he since left, and then one other gentleman joined me, and we worked together, and we were essentially the actuarial team between the two of us. And we were actually hired initially to be part of the creation of their loyalty program. So, again, something very different. A loyalty program in an asset finance bank. And my boss came from Discovery where there's an actuary everywhere. In the in, in the building and so he just knew that actuaries get stuff done so he needed actuaries on his team so he knew he'd be able to use us in whatever form that he required us to and essentially your decisions always need to be backed by some kind of data some kind of business case and he figured we'd probably be the best people on board and that's how I found myself there and a big thing that's coming out from the South African profession and also from the IA meetings that we've been at for the past week is really getting into very non-traditional areas and you'll probably have noticed from. AsSA job ads that have been coming out that even people in retail and textile have been looking for us, people within the telecoms are looking for actuaries and the question always comes up for me: How does one just decide to go and work in a fashion company as an actuary? who is bold enough to do that and it has occurred to me that you, ne- you can 't necessarily always wait for there to be this mass exodus of actuaries into a new field there's a level of personal risk that you need to take as an individual. And I think that's really what my journey was. I was looking for something different, something interesting, and it sounded like, what was on the table was definitely going to be that. So definitely, I think some bold moves and some leaps of faith are going to be required on our own personal parts to be able to enter these areas. And I think banking for one, outside of the credit and regulatory role, and in some cases within them, requires that leap of faith. So I guess for the individuals who think that perhaps banking is you know, a bit out there, there's definitely a home for actuaries there, but it does require you to um, have have a bit of adventure inside of you to make that transition. And then you think of sort of what's required now when you get to a new company. You're the only actuary there. There's no one really to tell you where the data is and sort of what the business requirements are and how you differentiate yourself. It's it's I often call it a sort of an excavation mission. Um there's a lot of hunting that goes on. But the things that I found that were probably quite useful now in hindsight probably just four years later is that you need to have an independent drive. Because remember It's no longer like insurance or healthcare where you are regarded as probably the smartest person in the room and you know what's going on. Here, people might not even know what you are and what you do. They, I mean, if if I look at the West Bank business, it's a very profitable business. Uh, We always joke that one of our biggest problems is that we can make money in our sleep, (laughs) which makes it hard to do things differently. And so really, if you are not able to wake up every day and say you're going to find pockets to add value as an individual without anyone really giving you direction, you will struggle. And the other thing is about independent workmanship. I essentially spent six months running around the business by myself, trying to figure out where the data was, how best it to access it, getting licenses for everything that I needed, developing relationships in the different pockets of the business. And banks are large operations. Uh, those of you who work in banks know that it's, it's sort of like trying to steer a ship. You need to know way in advance what you want to do, and you need to build up to it over a, a significant period of time and with lots of determination. And the fact of the matter is that banks are not really run by finance people. We like to think that we're in control, but what I quickly learned is that the banks are run more by IT than anything else. Really, no matter how great your idea is, at the end of the day, it needs to be implemented by IT. So really, they I found that Particularly in banks, becoming friends with the guys in IT is, is your best bet. You, you must never look down on them. If anything, they, they should be your closest friends in getting everything that you need. Because at the end of the day, we need data. And they are the custodians of data outside of the credit team. And processes, so those of you in banking, you probably know all about working with the BA teams and with, with the operational teams and flight centers, and again with IT, you know about release cycles, you know about freezes, and as much as that's beyond our domain of control, it's beyond our influence, it's important that you know how it operates so that you can position yourself, so that you can time yourself within those processes. Because at the end of the day, you still need to fall in line with protocols and processes that exist already before you've arrived. And one thing that I learned very quickly is because I was operating with people who did not necessarily think that they needed actuaries in the bank, that it wasn't a requirement, building credibility very quickly is very important when you enter new terrain. So that people know that they can trust you, that you know the business, and that they can call on you when they do need to make decisions. And a very easy way to build credibility is to learn about the business. You know, we often talk about business, but really that's the whole company. It's sales, it's what's in the financials. I very quickly had to learn how to read uh, our financial accounts, though that wasn't something that was necessarily attuned to. I needed to know what the business of the book looked like, how it was growing, what the arrears looked like, and really spending a few months making sure that you've got those numbers at the tips of your fingers helps to build credibility because they expect you to know this. As much as we want to venture into new areas, there's still a perception that we're number crunchers. So you must at least be able to hold yourself when it comes to the number crunching to be able to expand beyond that. So I found that that was very essential in building trust with senior um, executives and also people on the credit team and some people in IT. So after a few years, they know that if I say our Cross penetration to FMB is 47%. It is 47%. (laughs) They don't doubt me. Whereas at the beginning, you'll find a lot of people will throw a lot of questions in your way. The best way to combat it is to just always know the correct numbers. And again, I guess building onto that is is learning every single day from every single person. One of the things that was quite pivotal at the beginning, because we're starting right from the bottom, right from scratch, was spending time in call centers, actually going to dealer floors, spending time with the sales and marketing team and understanding what their strategies were, going to the credit team and understanding how they get their scorecards signed off. So really making sure that there's no one in the business that you are not able to learn from. Because remember, this business was there before you arrived. When you enter new terrain, there is, isn't a single person you can't learn from within the business. And very much a collaborative process. So one thing that I am a big fan of and that I talk about a lot is working in multidisciplinary teams. So you can imagine if you're a one man or two man show, you need to build a team around you. And that will invariably mean that you need to get people from the sales team, the marketing team, the finance team, the credit team, the IT teams, within IT, get the developers from the different systems, get guys from architecture, and have people within every single department that you can call on. I think it's very easy for us to think that we build models and we email them to someone and we justify them and we walk away. But if you don't understand the business, sometimes you undermine your own authoritative voice, you undermine your own knowledge or the work that you've produced simply because you're not able to speak coherently with other people in the business. And they all have a very different way of talking. They all have their different languages and their different concerns. So particularly if you work for a small team, it's very important that you do get buy-in because you do not have the advantage of scale or of a large, you know, team with muscle that you can, that you can weigh in on the rest of the business. And something that I guess um, isn't spoken about a lot, so we, we've we often been told that we need to develop our EQ as actuaries, we need to communicate better and be more, you know, motion conscious. But two things that we don't talk about, which I think are pivotal when you are going into new terrain and you're trying to f- find your place in in a different department, sp- specifically with a lot of multidisciplinary teams where you don't have a lot of support, is PQ and CQ. That's passion quotient and curiosity quotient. There's no amount of emotion that can replace your genuine curiosity. Being able to generate your own questions and find solutions for those questions and to start developing your mindset so that you think like your business owners and are able to anticipate the questions they will ask and be able to have answers ready in advance has been absolutely essential in sort of asserting the actuarial profession within the West Bank Group. And then there's the passion quotient. If you really don't enjoy something that you're doing, you can only do it for so long. And particularly when you don't have a big team around you to support you every day and, you know, people that you're not studying exams with, people who don't necessarily think like you, uh, You, it goes back to the independent drive. Every single day being able to go back and find those answers, it takes an incredible amount of time. And again, um, we heard from Matthew's talk that you, you, you need to think differently, you need to justify yourself constantly in the process. So definitely PQ and CQ, I think, are are, are things that we need to think about separate from IQ and EQ more, more frequently as we go forward into different terrain. So I've given you sort of a my my journey and the things that I've found have been quite helpful. But now I guess for your more academic mindset and t- to understand sort of what we do within, within asset finance, within the West Bank Group. So the team that I work for, we have an emerging technology team and that uh, has developers within it. So that's your, your computer science developers. We've got people from the creative side so who focus on the UX side of the business. And we've got uh, external consultants, actuarial consultants, and we've also got um, pure quant people um with mathematical and scientific um The backgrounds. And within the team, um, we've been working on quite a few things and really the goal within the bank is, as we've put it, is to Uberize banking. Uh, We just had the banking seminar yesterday and really all of it was about the digital age of banking. And we figured out not too long ago that that's where the industry was going and that we couldn't afford to be left behind. So definitely moving into the digital space is something that is a high priority for us within West Bank and within the entire First grand group. So What I found is that as much as you can get developers and pure quant people into the team to build the algorithms To really start thinking about things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, you need a gatekeeper. And it goes back to um, Michael's question earlier on about differentiating ourselves. And what I found is that having a few actuaries on board provides sort of a safeguard. So it's not a pure regulatory role, but definitely the way we think is slightly different. So often we will have the ideation discussions. What can we do? Is it possible? What techniques are we going to use? Then there's a team that goes and does that but then at the end of the day we need to sit down with our moral conscious and say okay this algorithm does it have inherent bias is this something that we'd be happy you know uh, yesterday they talked about the Sunday Times test at West Bank we have what we call the carte blanche test is this something we'd be happy for it to come out on carte blanche can we justify ourselves if one of our original equipment manufacturers was to show up and say you're always recommending this car over our car Um, are we using the right sets of data so answering those sort of questions has I found it's been a natural evolutionary process that it sits within the actuaries' hands. So the actuaries around the table are the ones who will poke holes in, in, in some of that work and make sure that uh, our moral conscience uh, doesn't keep us up at night. So and it goes back to analytical value products, making sure that every product that we develop makes sense and um, helps the business. So the old approach for those who are already in banking has really been mass marketing. Sort of spray and pray, just market to everyone and hope that we'll get an over 10% conversion rate. But really, sort of that's graduated to a lot of more predictive modeling. And now we're moving into the space of using algorithms and machine learning, and we're hoping that in the next 12 to 18 months, we will finally have found our way into the artificial intelligence space. A lot of you will know IBM Watson being more, um, being where well, it's more popular for their work within the healthcare space, and their partners that we 've been talking to about uh, how to optimize a lot of our functions within the bank, for example, with call centers, how to use robotics to take out a lot of those functions, and really, we found that having the actuaries in the room and in, on the journey with IBM Watson is, is more optimal. Having an operations person, having a very quantitative person with a, with, with a professional background that, that keeps them grounded has been quite essential. So I guess just to give you an idea of, of the scope of work that, that we're getting involved in and then there's sales support so i think on any in any given week i have at least two meetings with guys from sales and at least one meeting with the guys from marketing so they include us in all their initiatives so if you think of if you're coming from a life insurance background the actuary is likely to be involved in signing off the marketing material and signing off the product brochure so we also hold that function now within the bank you can't just quote numbers without someone saying okay i verified it with the raw data and it looks right so really fulfilling a lot of the functions you would see right across the life insurance business now taking place within the banking environment as well. And like I said, the first thing that um, we went to West Bank to do was to develop a loyalty program, which we did with some success, and it's powered by FMB in partnership with their eBucks brand as well. So I guess it speaks to building business cases in long-term view, um, navigating financials, making sure that we have some kind of long-term view of what the costs are likely to be to the business, because these are very expensive programs they can easily go into the billions and you want to know upfront what your commitments are and like I said earlier so I'm in charge of research as well so a lot of the work that happens before you go into what we call production so when IT is now hacking away to make deadlines um, I'm involved in that process right up to that point whether it's putting together demos, whether it's doing the business cases, selling the ideas to our senior execs, uh, making sure that you've got someone who's who's had a critical eye over it, made sure that we're following um, proper guidance and we're using data appropriately, and we've double and triple checked our business cases for their long-term forecasts. Um, has become very important. And again, after building credibility with key people in the business, they start to seek you out as opposed to you always um, existing in this sales marketing exercise of your skills. So I guess that's that's most of it for me and I guess what I want you to take away from this is that well asset finance is not really just about providing the finance for an individual but it's about operating throughout the whole value chain within West Bank we're moving away from just providing the finance to being involved in the actual asset part so you'll see us in the uh, in the upcoming year um you'll see our our brand more closely associated with the actual asset and that's also an expensive journey in and of itself and And also, I guess, discovering for yourself the pockets of value that you can give to different parts of the business. My boss often says that if you can learn and you can work, there is no part of the business you cannot work in. And definitely within banking, I found that that's the experience. And I guess the take home, if you do not work in a bank and you want to get into banking or you want to get out of the traditional roles, is really that... um, with a bit of humility and with a bit of curiosity and applying yourself and working independently, it's a lot easier than we think to, to move into other areas of the bank and to really show our value. And I think we personally have our own marketing um, exercise to go through within the actuarial profession to show what differentiates us from data scientists as, as they're, often, they're commonly called nowadays. So I guess, yeah, that's it from me.
0: Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Kuzai. I think um, that's uh, inspiring stuff that we are hearing in this room. Um, I'm sure or I hope we're going to have uh, a number of questions. We actually have got enough time for lively discussion. Uh, we should leave this room at around 10 past 12. So we've got about twenty minutes to 30 minutes. So I'm going to ask uh, from the floor questions, and I also have my own questions they are simple ones okay there is one question i identify you by name that's Tim, i assume
2: it is it (laughs) is um i've got two questions thank you for that that is very inspirational Um, i've got two questions one is hopefully reasonably easy you alluded to it at the end it is a professional question Uh, in your capacity as a professional qualified actuary and then the second question is perhaps a little bit unfair. It's going to stretch you a bit. Um, from from my, my, my vision isn't as good as so once was, but um, you are a young black woman. Um, and therefore, based on my work record, you will not have been an insider within the traditional uh, sectors in which actuaries are employed. Now. The first question is in terms of what you bring to West Bank, what is it that really differentiates you in your actuarial capacity? So you talk about data scientists and so on. So how do do we really differentiate ourselves? And then the second one is your experience of being an outsider within the traditional sectors. Has that helped you in moving to the wider fields?
1: Okay, so to address the first question, and I think it's a popular question nowadays, particularly with the branding of the data scientist profession. So um, we've had the discussion around many tables at work in terms of we're hiring a lot of people in the quantitative fields. Who do you prefer? And many people have said that they prefer a math stats grad with a masters over an actuary. Uh, one of the reasons being, well, they're slightly cheaper. <laughs> um, the other reason being some people want purely quantitative-focused people. Um, they don't want someone who moves into business, as it were. And I've always said that in my hiring exercise, so that which is under my jurisdiction within the digital and R&D team, I will always hire an actuary over um, a math stats grad. Reason being, one, the data scientist will. I don't even think I can call it a profession. Well, yes, them. (laughs) They do not have a standard curriculum. They're not held by any minimum standards. I mean, you can get any quantitative degree, work for a couple years, call yourself a data scientist. Um, It's not governed by anything solid that I can hold them accountable for. Secondly, the professional standards by which we are held. So I know that I do not need to babysit someone who is a qualified actuary. (laughs) The profession does that quite well for me. There are certain things that they won't do simply because they'll be held accountable for it. I I often, I guess I watch myself from a distance as well. I'm very cautious sometimes about what data we will use, about the biases and the algorithms, sort of things I'm talking about, about even things like making sure we have adequate audit trails, that we've justified everything that we've done before we get a second person. So I often get someone from the credit team to have another look at a lot of the work we do. And I think that level of due diligence um, I I haven't seen it within other professions or they haven't given me a reason to believe that they will always be held by that. Whereas for us, we are held to those standards by our own profession. So a lot of that, I've I've made it very clear in my own hiring practices that those are the standards that my team will be held by, regardless of what the rest of the business does. So um, to your second question, uh, being an outsider. So I actually worked in life insurance initially, uh, did a lot of product development work, pricing work, reinsurance work. Uh, then I did sort of wider field healthcare work and some medical scheme work. So I, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in traditional areas, but I did spend enough time to get an idea, well, I guess to learn the core technical skills and to get an idea of the key actuarial concerns that any decent actuary should be bearing in mind. But I think um, part. it's partly, a, I think, a personality Thing So some people are very happy to, um, to stick to regulatory roles. That's, that's what they're interested in. That's what they want to focus in. But for myself, I've always preferred doing things that are slightly outside the box. So even in life insurance, I gravitated to product development, working a lot with sales and marketing. So I think seeing things from all perspectives is really good. And I'm very fortunate that I work for individuals who are happy to give me exposure to the whole business. So I've been, I've been particularly fortunate. And I guess to your point about um, a young black woman who's qualified in in this industry, does it give me an edge? I, I'm not sure. I'd like to think. Um, at the end of the day, what's nice about having a professional qualification is you're all on equal footing. You know, it's it's a it's a great equalizer. So. I'd like to think person- personally, per- my personality might be different, but when it comes to actually getting the work done, I'd like to think that the profession does a good job in making sure that there's a minimum standard and a way to equalise the game.
0: Uh, uh, thank you very much, uh, Kuzai, for answering those interesting and difficult questions. We're we going to take another question from the floor. Uh, Said uh, Shepherd, I identify you by name as well. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you Kuzai for the beautiful presentation I've made. Uh, just a question, perhaps I would have missed it. I think you mentioned your intentions and what you bring to the table, uh, what you, what value you would from your own perspective uh, be able to to assist the team with. Have you, have you received any kind of feedback in terms of what your intentions were versus uh, what people are now saying when they've seen what you do? on the team
1: uh definitely so that's a nice question (laughs) because i have good things to say so um like i said at the beginning i guess people didn't really know what we do and what we can bring to the table they just knew that we're number crunchers but i guess a few years down the line the the feedback is always positive and it comes from all areas of the business so um i'm i'm again i'm fortunate that i i work with people in our very senior team so our stratco and uh after building some credibility, they always ask my boss if he's checked with me. (laughs) Um, If he he wants to make any decision, has he checked that it has a financial impact? Um, Recently, we got some great feedback from our campaigns and our marketing team about some of the work we've done for them and just articulating some of the issues and raising some of the concerns. Because really, I'd like to think, so you know, a lot of organizations say they have a flat structure and then they don't. Well, West Bank, it looks like a very hierarchical business, but it's actually very flat when it comes to getting the work done. So we make sure there's just about everyone um, from every team. Well, there's a representative from every team within any sort of big project, so they in a meeting, you'll have someone from the Stratco, so your CEO, COO, CFO, guys from the motor division, and we'll have sales marketing people, we'll have someone from the call center, someone from the fight center, and recently some of the feedback from them was that often it's the actuaries in the room who articulate the issues a lot better and broaden the discussion. So the feedback, I, for me, it's been very humbling. It's been very positive and very encouraging to keep, um, keep ourselves open to what the wider business has to do. So, yeah, very, very
0: encouraging for me. Um, thank you, Kuzai. Uh, we have one question, nothing else. Okay. Yeah. Take yours. You um, said a question. So at some point during your talk, you
2: encouraged people to think differently. I, I always wondering about that. Is that because in your experience, in many cases, uh, you encourage you to think differently because the way people... A country thinking is wrong, is that it, or what does that mean exactly, think differently, and why is that necessarily a good thing?
1: So I think in terms of thinking differently, I'll give you an example. So in a lot of the discussions, particularly business cases, um, when because I work, like I said, in the pre-implementation phase. So you're trying to get buy-in and you're trying to get ideas to make everything better. So often you'll talk to the finance people and they well, our finance people are very focused on the balance sheet and the income statement. They're, that is really what their focus is. And our sales and marketing team, are they're focused on volumes, whether it's new cars or used cars, you know, they, they think in that dimension. Um, and well you've got our our emerging technology team, they're really thinking about something that's cool. (laughs) That's scientifically cool. Um, And sometimes I feel, and oh yes, our credit team is, is always thinking about the risks involved. But sometimes I guess entering a discussion and taking bits and pieces of all of that and uh, Matthew also spoke about about how our curriculum lends us to thinking more about the business in a wider context and I think that's what's great about the uh, the actuarial syllabus that product development product life cycle component of, of the syllabus is is so crucial and I and I, I think if anything it's under marketed and underutilized because that is what helps you put together what everyone around the table is saying. And I think for me, that has definitely been a competitive advantage within the bank. To say that, okay, financially this is what we're saying. And if we go to market, this is what it will look like. The user experience, what does it feel like? Have we taken regulatory tax considerations? all of that. Have we made sure that we're doing the right thing? Can we justify this? Can Do we pass the Cot Blanche test? Taking all of that. So I, I think I, I use it now almost subconsciously. And then I come to the table and I say, okay, you know what, this is what the model looks like, but I think we should make sure that we consider this. And I think these guys haven't been brought into the room. Let's, let's get what they have to say. So I, I think thinking differently sometimes is really just about <coughs> leveraging our curriculum to make the best use of the ideas around the table already. Like I said, this is a very profitable business and was very profitable before I arrived. So they, they all know what they're doing. And I guess um, something I learned in consulting is that you'll never know the business more than the client. And for me, it's the same thing every day when I go to work. I will never know sales and marketing more than Michelle and Rudolph and their team. I will never know about emerging technology more than our developers. But definitely, there's a, I've got a tool set and I think of our syllabus very much like that. And that's that's what I bring to the table, I guess, aside from the quantitative skills. So that's really what I'm thinking about when I say think differently.
0: Okay, um, thanks once again, Kuzai. We still have uh, a few more minutes, but I'm going to, and I'm just gonna repeat some of the things you said and then uh, m- maybe ask a question from that. So so you, you, you started off by saying um, you need to take personal risk you know, for actuaries to move into wider fields, Now, I think it's very common with most actuaries we have moved into banking. Um, they had to take personal risk at an individual level without the support. Then you said independent thinking is key to success. And then beyond that, working collaborate, uh, collaboratively within, within a team is quite important. Thinking differently, I mean, that's the question you just answered now. And then you spoke about um, understanding the business yeah, is critical in order for you to build trust. So and there are a number of issues that you are bringing to the, uh, to the table here. And um, my question then is, you know, what, from all these things you are saying now, how important was your personality? okay in making it in this particular environment so because actuaries are seen quite differently you know and you spoke about the branding issue and the marketing issue that we need to do we we often probably even undersell ourselves got great skills but we do undersell ourselves but how important was personality did you go there you already had great interpersonal skills or you had to learn along the way or you had to train yourself or you actually had to find something that probably was missing maybe in our syllabus or in the way you were trained as an actuary. All
1: right, I think that's a hard question. (laughs) Well, I guess, so something that I mentioned earlier is humility, so again, this is an organization that doesn't assume you're very intelligent simply because you're an actuary, because half of them don't know that you're an actuary. So I think um, humility to to even get people to share their information with you, large organisations have this slight problem where people hold on to information; <laughs> they're not always forthcoming. I don't know if what that's about, but um, for people to share information with you, I think it's it's very important um, to to be to be quite humble in your approach. So, if if we're talking personality, I think um, one of the things I guess that that we forget when we go to work and we have these forums, or when, we, when we're in a professional setting, at the end of the day, you're dealing with humans. You're just all in you know, fancy suits or you know, nice outfits, but really you're, you're dealing with humans. And I'm, I'm fortunate, and I always say about West Bank people, they're the greatest people I've met in the corporate world because really everyone comes to work and is just a human being. It, uh, it functions very much like a flat structure. You do what you need to do every single day just to get the job done. Um, no one is very, Focused on their title or or ranking, so I think in terms of personality, I found that there's there's room for a lot of different personalities. I have my own. I'm quite quirky. I've been told. Um, I don't know if it worked for or against me. I, I can't honestly say. But if if you are if you are humble in your approach and you're willing to learn from other people and they can see that, they will always make room for you if you are bringing value to the table. I think. At the end of the day, everyone wants to get their job done. If they know that they can approach Michael or Kodai and it will be done efficiently, they'll come to you. If you have given them room, they will give you room. If you're adding value.
0: Um, yeah, th- thank you very much. And uh, this is quite an important question. Um, as a profession, it's a really a uh, critical question of um, how do we, you know, how do we behave as actuaries? Have we if we only trained ourselves in spreadsheets or we're training ourselves uh, beyond uh, the business and spreadsheet that, um, that are the technical uh, skills of an actuary. So, so you would know about um, uh, the normative skills subjects that um, Actuarial Society introduced, which is quite, uh, in fact, there are a lot of things that Society of South Africa is doing as a first in the world, actually. Normative skills being one of them, where we said we need to go deeper in terms of training actuaries in these things that you've just been talking about. You know, the soft skills, the working together um, with everyone else. You know, the interpersonal skills, the communication skills. You know, we just used to write a communication paper. I wrote that one four times, and that was about it. You know. Um, but not the other stuff that is now being done. So I think um, that's quite, uh, thanks for, for, for sharing with us. Now, We have time for another question, and I have got another question I wanna ask, uh, just your view, but we've got time for another question. Uh, Temba again.
2: Sorry, this is not going to be a difficult one. <laughs> it's, it's more like a challenge from an old man um, you've said we need to market ourselves, and, and you've just mentioned uh, normative skills. Um, I'm mm-hmm. talking about uh, uh, a Titch there, uh, and, and banking. How are you going to make sure that not only South Africa but the world knows that we are cooking really innovative stuff deep here in Africa, in South Africa?
1: Can I take that, one,
0: Kudzai should be answering this question, I assume, but um, uh, uh, Kuzai and myself, in fact, are quite involved now at an international level. So I'll leave Kuzai to say something then I'll also try and tell you. But we are not quiet about it and we are deliberate and we are sharing.
1: Okay, so I'll share something with you. So the I Council meeting we were on, was it Monday? Yeah, on Monday, and our the director, executive director, was stepping down. She's she's going into retirement and pursuing other things. And one of her parting words was, "We've got enough competitors as it is. We need to stop fighting with the profession." So. I think it goes back to what we were saying about how you know, we are now in this battle with the maths finance people and you know, will they take our jobs, will they replace us and how do we position ourselves to be able to do some of the types of work that I've mentioned over and above everyone else. And definitely there's several initiatives within the IAA. I probably our biggest impediment is the, is the lack of young members to be able to take this forward. I mean, so m- most of the members within the IAA are, are of retiree age, but definitely um, within some of the sections where we're going forward and making sure that we differentiate ourselves. And I think part of the problem is that a lot of the things that we know differentiate ourselves, as from, from everyone else, aren't in writing. So we're looking, I guess, within the next six months, particularly from the um, IAA consulting section, to start putting out more thought pieces on what differentiates a qualified actuary from a non-qualified or an associate and what differentiates you from a maths, quant person and at least have it in writing, first of all. Secondly, getting more non-actuaries involved in our activities. Because in the past, the IAA has really sort of been some elite body of very much, well, much older <laughs> actuaries. And I think going forward, we're going to start having more people from, people such as the DFIs, people from the energy sector, um, people from retail and textiles and telecoms um, being invited to a lot of our sessions, um, allowing them to have a platform to also speak and to share what they're doing. So it's not always us disseminating information and saying what we can do, but to really listen and hear what they need so that we remain relevant. And so we've got a lot of seminars and forums that we're running, and we'll definitely have a lot more in print in writing uh, we're also looking to write in non-actuarial journals and non-actuarial magazines and in developing the ICA 2018 track um, there's a great focus on non traditional areas so a lot of stuff on digital a lot of stuff on analytics robotics the algorithms weapons of math destruction you know having frank discussions about energy and what role actuaries are playing and have we undersold ourselves so a lot of wider forums, and you'll know about um, Kathy Lynn's diversity forum and uh, let me disclaimers that diversity in their sense is what I was talking about multidisciplinary teams um, being able to work beyond a regulatory or a statutory or a very quants um, job so there's actually a whole day before ICA 2018 where we'll have that forum so definitely I think um, the new blood coming into the IA is very focused on making sure that we raise the profile of the profession and we move aggressively and f- very much so into areas that we haven't been seen in the past. And again, uh, we're taking a lot of personal risks as individuals to make this happen.
0: Okay, so, so thank you very much, Kuzai. So I, I think you, know, you, you have just um, addressed uh, the question and we can give you examples, um, but before I give you examples, people in this room are what makes the profession tick. So effectively what i would be saying is we need more participation Uh, from people from this room to actually, you know, put Actuarial Society of South Africa on the map at an international level, saying these are the things we are doing. Um, uh, You you have to come and participate. So I'll give you an example. I was recently nominated and then approved as the chairperson of the IAA Banking Working Group. And what is our job? Our job is to spread the banking practice among international organizations. So effectively, another example I'll give is we had dinner with the Canadian Institute yesterday and the Society of Actuaries on their request, their cost, to say, come and share with us what did you do, how did you get it right to, to have penetration in banking, how did it start? And we shared with them. I mean, we were, we were the president of Actuarial Society at the dinner. It was a very, very small dinner, exclusive, about seven people at the dinner, including the chief examiner, uh, the principal examiner of the banking subject and the external examiner of the banking subject, myself and the president, and uh, these other gentlemen. And it was really just to share. And they were fascinated because we were giving them stories. People like Kuzai and a number of guys had sent me emails of what actually happened, how did they actually transform themselves to be working in a bank as an actually So we're not quiet about it. Um, we will be talking about it, we will find slots when we present, we will talk about what we have been doing in South Africa, that's actually leading the world um, in, in everything. So so it can't be done by a few people within actual society, That's, I, I guess that's the answer. It, it can be done as more and more people participate. Because there are a lot of good things that are happening, but um, working as a team, I mean the, this morning session, actually, if you want to move fast, what you do, you go on your own, right? But if you want something that makes sense, sustainable and everything, we're gonna have to do it as a team. So that's the answer to that. We have got 10 minutes and we are very happy to continue discussions on, on the issues that uh, we are talking about right now. Do we have any, any other question or you wanna break for coffee now? Do we have any other question? Okay, um, my last question I had for you is to do with, um, it's your views, so you spoke about information technology uh, being very critical in banking and in fact yesterday we had our banking seminar and the first four, first four speakers really spoke about the same thing. It was the same thing. Information technology, data analytics, predictive modeling, the digital world is here how we are having all these disruptions as a result of technology. And, and, and we were saying that's the future of banking. Now just your view, yeah, based on, because the role you are playing is quite um, interesting. What do you think about having data analytics and information te- uh, technology and predictive modeling as core in the syllabus of training and actuary? And when you moved? Did you find something missing? Did you have to, you know, did you have to do something extra so that you can actually compete um, in this area despite your good technical skills, um, but with these, without these other aspects?
1: So, I mean, um, some of you might know that the. Institute syllabus has changed, well is planning to change quite significantly as of beginning of 2019, so they've sort of finalized the changes for the first section. And the first thing I picked up is that it's a lot more practical to complete your first uh, group of exams, the CTs. Um, you'll be required to do practical exercises. So I think we're already moving in that direction, but definitely we need a lot more um, application for the quantitative uh, skills. So things like you know, predictive modeling techniques and what is machine learning, even if you don't go to the extent of all the well, actual practical exercises within the syllabus, but so that everyone has an idea of what they're dealing with because I definitely did find a gap. So, you know, after knowing everything that was in the notes, I found, well, <laughs> I, I still needed something extra. But I guess on that point, regardless of whether you got a natural science degree or a FinMath's degree or a Math Stats degree, I think you'll always find something lacking because the world is moving so rapidly. If it takes you three to five years after varsity to finish your exams, and the notes don't change as fast as the world is changing, you will always have a gap. I think that's that's just a fact. So I think it goes back to some of the issues we've been discussing about. So how do you view CPD? And you know, we had the discussion with Marius Dutwai, and he was talking about sort of outcome-based CPD, and that's coming. Um, and I think it's 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 about wanting to do better on your job aside from just CPD because I found that I actually had to take online courses like with Coursera and the like to learn about how to build algorithms and how to think about it and to figure out what machine learning was and we're doing a lot of work within First Rand on Bitcoin and blockchain and I had to go learn by myself because that's where the world was going and there's no way to put that in the syllabus within the next year. <laughs> the, the protocols, the processes that we we follow that we have to follow, um, there's governance around that. so definitely there are gaps but I don't think it's up to the profession to fill all the gaps given the pace at which things are changing but definitely to encourage people to learn the skills that they need on the job whether their employer is whipping them (laughs) to get them or not I think at some point you realize if I'm going to do well on my job I need to go learn about this and you find the resources and you skill yourself up so I think there's definitely a um, an individual um, responsibility and we can't solve everything as the profession um, but yeah, definitely continual learning is quite critical.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Kuzai. Um, I think um, uh, this is quite good. Uh, i, I don 't think we have any other questions, so I would like to give another round of applause to Kuzai. <laughs> um, thank you very much, so yeah so I think um, I think the issues we we, we have been discussing here, it's, it's really just um, uh, showing you that. Um, There is a lot we can do as a profession, and um, this is quite a different session. You know, banking is quite new. A lot of people are still breaking ground. We're still even trying to convince higher powers, regulators, and a whole lot of other people to say, here we are, We think we've got something to offer. Um, So these discussions, when we do them um, within a, a professional setting and also taking into account all the other professional issues that a professional must um, uh, uh, consider when they are doing their job I think is quite fruitful so with that, assuming that there are no further questions uh, I thank you and I hope you enjoy the rest of the convention, thank you